Hello and welcome to another episode of Future Chat. I am joined today by two co-hosts and uh, that's the first time that's happened, I think. The first time we recorded a Future Chat that had three people on it might have been 2016. It's been a long time. How's it going, uh, Mike? It's going fantastic. Yeah? Yeah. I I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I've been podcasting about every week. Yeah, you. I think you have it on every week. I don't think you missed one. <laughs> And Nick, you have been on and off as much as I have, but uh, but you're here now. I am. Yep. I am not a co-host, though. No, I know, but you are you are a co-host. You just have a different designation on a different show. Fair. Well, he's not a co-host here. <sighs> he is he's a co-host a, that is a senior. He's a very he's a very regular guest. <laughs> We're gonna have to. Well, I don't think my bathroom again, schedule should really play into this, but thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so can i can i bring this up because this this irks me every time um in the same thread as the senior contributor versus co-host conversation people say pluto is not a planet but pluto is a dwarf planet and a dwarf planet is still a planet i don't understand the confusion here a co-host can still be a senior contributor wait i'm gonna so. need some venn diagrams <laughs> i am not gonna be able to provide those this is an audio only program also so- i'm unprepared not all planets are dwarf planets. Right. But all dwarf planets are planets. Yes. That's what we're that's what we're going for. Yeah. And not all senior contributors are co-hosts. Egg. No. Wait, no. Not all nope. co-hosts are senior <laughs> yeah, contributors. There you go. But all senior contributors are co-hosts. Yeah. Subsets. I mean, for Unwind it's Media, fine. I think that's accurate. Yeah, it is accurate. There's, there's only, only one. one I, I literally had to code you in as an exception for this show. Like I had to, there's just hosts and then there's one senior contributor thing in the code and you are the only one. That's awesome. (laughs) So now that we've lollygagged about enough, we should get to official capital F U follow up. I noticed that when Mike and I were recording, it was the other show or was it this show? It was this show. are we going to do this? Rob, <laughs> have you show. been just adopting turn-of-the-century vernacular? No, I don't think so. If this right, is gents, that, that's my We've been lollygagging around enough this morning. It's time to get at it. <laughs> oh, I'm also quoting from a few year, a few weeks ago. The, well, bully for you. Bully. <laughs> I feel like you got hit hard by the Murdoch Mysteries train. Well, if I watched that show, then I definitely would have gotten. But I don't really, I don't do a lot of period piece media other than the contemporary period. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that being said, we did talk about follow up on this show a couple weeks ago, and we're going to do our official follow up segment. Credit to John Syracuse because that's that's how this Cir- is. Circa twenty eleven. Yes, and I want to say we got a piece of follow up via Twitter, which I was very excited about. Somebody reached out, having listened to our segment on digital payments and making specifically mobile payments. And uh, so this is Mia or possibly MIA from Twitter. Uh, the Twitter name Letting Go 5 said that they um, they already have the same thing we described that the United States has some of with mobile payments. Uh, they also have it in China and it's through WeChat, which is an app that we have talked about. We don't talk about much here because it's not as big if they even we even have it here. Um, but they have a, a service through WeChat called WeChat Pay that lets them pay in China through their phones using either, I guess, debit or credit. And you can just kind of pay anywhere. And uh, so, yeah, I, I wanted to follow up on that and say that, like, first of all, I, repl- I responded on Twitter and I was extremely jealous of 
of Chinese uh, people, especially the kind of mobile heavy ones, because those tend to be the digital payers. Um, but to say that they do have it in China, they have it in the U.S., but we really don't have solutions like like described there in Canada yet. And that's what we were that's what we were really wanting is is a Canadian service. But uh, Mike, you have a story here that we put in follow up to follow up on this story. But uh, again, this is all, all, only in the United States so far. So what's uh, what's going on with PayPal? Uh, so PayPal is joining up with Android Pay or partnering with Android Pay to be used as a registered payment method within Android Pay. So the same way you link a credit card with Android Pay, uh, you can now in some parts of the US, I'm assuming to start, you can link a PayPal account with your Android Pay method and and use it through regular tap and pay systems that allow it, uh, which I think is amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Other, instead of having to wait for your bank to have their system hook in with Android Pay uh, protocols, you can just link your PayPal account, which can is probably already linked to your credit card. Uh, then you can just do it that way. So it's a bit of a backdoor method to get your credit card using Android Pay without having to wait for your bank. So I am 100% for this, and I hope that this comes to Canada sooner than later. Um, now Android pay, from my understanding, if you're wanting to wear, use it with a wearable device, it would have to be an actual, actual Android wear watch mm-hmm. versus the Samsung, uh, Tizen based systems. So Samsung has the Samsung pay, which as we discussed before is, uh, partnering with CIBC in Canada to trial their Samsung pay systems at the NFC terminals, but Android pay I'm not sure which banks have Android Pay right now. Rob, you might know better. Uh, TD, you can pay with Android, but it's weird, as we've discussed. That's the only one that I'm super aware of because I've okay. had, I have a TD account. Okay. Yeah, so it's obviously not as high, widely adopted as Apple Pay is yeah. at the moment. But hopefully, you know, it's, it's a slow process, but hopefully they'll kind of get on board and... Whether it's Android Pay, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, or Walmart Pay, which I don't even know if that's still a thing, but no, it's well <laughs> the the one you're referring to, the like weird yeah merchant thing that Walmart was a part of. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that's uh, happening okay. anywhere. Okay. Regardless, hopefully, just contactless payments through mobile devices just becomes a ubiquitous thing, mm-hmm. and we won't have to be waiting around for the banks and the services to get on board. So it's good to see PayPal kind of leading the way and. Hopefully that encourages other banks to uh, to get on board because effectively, like I said, PayPal already takes credit cards as payment methods. Mm-hmm. So this basically is the bank missing out on that use if it's people having to go through PayPal to use Android Pay. Yeah. Versus directly linking your, your bank account and PayPal uh, not receiving whatever commission or... Um, revenue from that use yeah so i i click through i i've started doing this trying to be a more responsible web consumer of information and so i clicked through this story that you posted from i believe it was android police if i recognize the formatting yeah. uh yeah i clicked through to the google blog entry about it and from there i clicked through to the paypal actual press release about it and it seems like i'm really hoping this isn't the case but it seems kind of like from the language they used that 
the current integration they're actually talking about between PayPal and um, like NFC merchants is only specific stores that do it. So like you'd see Visa or MasterCard or Android Pay or Apple Pay. You'd need to have them specifically implement PayPal payments. It's not just NFC directly. And because they describe, they say the, the sentence, the important sentence in, in this uh, press release is coming soon, consumers in the U.S. will be able to use PayPal and Android Pay at retailers from Walgreens to Dunkin' Donuts and will enable customers to pay across even more contexts. Uh, and then it describes in the coming months adding the ability to use cards that have been stored with PayPal in order to actually just pay with, say, a credit card through PayPal. Using the actual PayPal balance, it seems like the money that you have stored in PayPal is mm-hmm. is what they're talking about in this in this specific release and it's only it seems like the language makes it seem like it's only specific retailers that have set this up not just any nfc like you have with a credit card like with apple pay or android mm. pay because the way paypal is set up as i'm sure you're we're well aware because you've used paypal before but when you make a transaction and use paypal as the payment method the merchant doesn't see what type of funds are being used for that transaction they're just asking paypal for that yeah, money they just see paypal yeah right and then paypal says how much money do you have in your account and then in your settings you say if you want to withdraw from your yeah. existing balance or if you want to take off the credit card and if there's not enough then discard like take it out from whatever other card mm. so like you have those all set up within paypal so that would be something that paypal has to restrict yeah that when a merchant requests a payment and they say this is a contactless payment then PayPal would have to say, okay, well, you don't have enough money in your account, like actual cash. Right. And so they'd say, well, we can't process it because you'd have to extract it from a credit card mm-hmm. as it currently is. But it sounds like they'll at some point allow you to use credit card payments yes. through PayPal. Mm-hmm. Which would be more secure, but it's not, that's not what they're describing yet. And it's only in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and seem, seems potentially somewhat limited. And I'm I'm curious to see how it actually works in practice but it sounds like it might be limited at the beginning so it's it's not even what i originally interpreted it to be based on that article where you're just adding paypal as a payment method within android pay yeah it's like paypal pay yeah basically oh that's That's what it seems like that that, that's less exciting yeah but the goal i think seems like integrating it in android pay it's just not where we're at yet so where does Android Pay even come into this? At this point, I mean, it seems like it doesn't. Android Pay kind of seems like what they're trying to do is kind of like Apple Pay in that all the payment methods funnel through either Apple Pay or Android Pay. Right. And then so you'd have to add the PayPal account to Android Pay, but then you pay right. through PayPal. But that's that's why I expect it to be. But you said that you'd have to have PayPal explicitly stated as an accepted payment method yeah that's you could just I walk think. up to any android pay right. one and use your android pay that's linked to your paypal account and that that would be the ideal setup but it sounds right. like from what they're and maybe they're just trying maybe they're specifically naming partners but when they say you can use paypal in android pay at retailers from walgreens to dunkin donuts like they're specifically naming people if it wasn't saying these are our partners at launch then that's kind of weird for them to be naming them unless like they're all owned by the same parent company Hmm. which is possible like conglomerates are a thing but it's weird language so i don't know but nick do you you use your tap and pay cards all the time merchants 
Yeah. Would you do see yourself using mobile NFC payments if given the opportunity to? I versus don't see just why not. Pay? I assume it will be secured somehow. <laughs> yeah. You'd hope or expect to, yeah. Whatever you're, either you have a password or you have a pin or you have a fingerprint or some kind of biometrics. I know with the TD, with the TD mobile payment on Android, it's, there was a pin you could set. So you'd enter the pin and that would give you 30 seconds to tap. Um, but yeah, iPhone, obviously it's the fingerprint and I like more advanced Samsung smartphones. It's the. Any, if they have a fingerprint, it's usually authenticated that way. Maybe I'll try and get some two-factor authentic authentication going. Mm. Like tap my phone and then my Fitbit somehow <laughs> pops up. That, that actually wouldn't be a bad idea. If you had a pattern on your fit, like anything with an accelerometer, if you could like tap a pattern out as, a, <laughs> as an authentication method. Tap my method. phone? Excuse me a moment. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't okay. have, it would be like Morse code. You'd have like three taps and then four taps and you just... For a dedicated that, listeners, not, that was me waving my arm over my head. <laughs> that's not as secure as doing like ten push-ups, and then that's your authentication. <laughs> I mean, that's not. That's I need not to get my heart rate at precisely 105 BPM. <laughs> yeah. And then you're sitting there, like really working on the floor. I've done a lot of cardio lately, and it's hard for yeah. me to get my heart rate up. <laughs> I mean, if you set it at ten push-ups, a lot of people are going to be able to break that encryption. But if you set it at thousand push-ups. <laughs> so you gotta go over to the paint mixer yeah. and throw my fitbit in <laughs> you know what would be really interesting if we got rid of two-factor authentication and only use the second factor that would be actually interesting yeah. i'd almost argue it's more secure <laughs> did you want to tell us about um, the other story and follow up mike i i do because microsoft is apparently pushing people or, or moving toward just relying on a direct signal to the user uh, as a form of authentication in the form of a notification to their device. And so when you attempt to log in to one of their services, they'll send a notification to the device that you specify in your account. And it uh, it asks you to, in one way or another, verify that you are there and are the one trying to log in. And you press that and it logs you in and no password is required. So it's not it's not like you put your password in and then it confirms. It's just there's no password to crack or break. It's just, right. I want to log in. And then it confirms that you're there in that second second factor authentication, which uh, it's, it's almost it's similar to where you have like, I don't know how they this is called like a bit lock type thing where you plug like a USB mm. device into your computer as a form of authentication that yeah. that's you. Yeah. And that's generally at like a workstation, like at a terminal. And so you sit down, you plug your thing in, and it lets you log in. Yeah. Or it logs you in or however you want to. I don't, it depends on the system, I guess. But mm -hmm. that's kind of the same concept is it's a just single form of authentication that you are the one logging in. And in theory, you should be the only one able to log in if it's being sent to your device. Yeah. Especially um, if that device is secured in some way. Yeah. Right. Um. Personally, I prefer the SMS variety of authentication, but uh, this one this one seems to be a good alternative. I, I don't really see any downside to it outside of just not having well, internet access to your yeah. cell phone at the time. Yeah, if you lose your phone, it's not great. Um, I, I as we've talked about before, I don't really like the SMS one, 
but I really like Google's implementation where if you have the Google app installed on your phone, it will just send you, it basically sends you a push, not- push notification saying literally just the words trying to sign in and then you authenticate and then hit yes if you're the one that just tried to sign in on a new, new device and then it lets you in, um, which basically for me personally does kind of make it one factor authentication because I have all my passwords stored anyways. So like I'll hit enter on my autofilled username. I'll hit enter on the autofilled password and then (laughs) it'll send me the actual authentication. But uh, yeah, I, I like that method. Having an older phone. I got it. That one does have its hiccups. Hmm. Like I'll try and sign in and then I'll look at my phone and wait and wait (laughs) and wait and realize it's just not coming and then go back and go, okay. And then try and sign in again and wait and then wait. And then I kind of put my head in my hands like this. And then it pops up with the notification. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Get my email forwards about cats now. I uh, I find that I get more waiting with the email authentications. SMS texts generally come in more mm. or less instantly. But the email ones will sometimes take a bit to to get in. I don't know why. Right. I don't know if that's on Gmail's end or if that's on the uh, the client's end, but yeah, I don't. The whole the password thing seems like we talked about it a lot in the last episode. I'm getting confused again. One of our episodes, and they do like having one secure password does seem like enough. Like if you have if you're secure in one way, you don't need two factor authentication necessarily. And having the second factor of authentication be the only one seems better than having the first factor being the only one. But I do encounter situations where if you have too many devices set up as being able to authenticate, then they become inherently less secure because I can, like if I'm on my Mac, for instance, and I go to sign into my Apple ID for something else on my Mac, it will pop up with that Mac as the second factor authentication. And I have to enter a six digit code that is elsewhere on the same computer. Mm. And in theory, there should be a way to, not have that device light up like have all the other devices you've authenticated light up except for the one that you're actually on but so far i have gotten that a few times where i'm just like this isn't as secure as i in theory it theoretically should be because you want them all you want any of your devices to be able to be a second factor but not you want it to be a second device that's a second factor right and it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to actually implement that but i have seen it pop up a couple times yeah, like Chrome can tell what device is being used to log in. Yeah. So it should be able, just any other server should be able to check to see if that device, I don't know if it's the MAC address that they use or what, uh, to tell if that device is what the second factor is set up to go to yeah. and then to send it to a different one or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad that they're focusing less on like secret questions <laughs> Yeah. because those are the worst. It's like... <laughs> You don't you want it to be something that you'll remember that your answer for, but you don't want it to be something that other people would know. Right. So then like in the past I'd make up like an answer like poop or something. Right. But then it's like, oh, what was my joke answer for that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then yeah. it doesn't work if it's not the actual answer. Yeah. I had one service, which I won't mention for obvious reasons. <laughs> but uh I set up the secret questions because I had to, but none of the, none of the secret questions actually really applied to me. 
Mm-hmm. And like one was, you know, what was your favorite sport as a child? And it was like, I, I wasn't into sports. <laughs> who's your favorite or who's your favorite band or musician? It's like, I, I don't really have one. And it just kept asking questions like that. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> well, then now they're starting to have like a custom. You can put like custom questions sometimes, in sometimes, yeah. sometimes. And then you can hopefully make it more relevant to you. Mm-hmm. I hope so too. In one of the early days of Windows, when I first set up a password hint, I think it was probably on the first laptop that was actually mine, like the end of grade 12, beginning of university. I had my secret question was what hurts and and I can say the answer for because for security reasons I don't think I've used this question in years because it was one of those ones like I wrote in the question what hurts and the answer was just ouch and for some reason I never forgot that even though I was just like such a stupid question like I still like this is 10 years ago and I still exactly remember the secret answer right <sighs> so next time I walk up to you Rob what hurts <laughs> Ouch. I'll start. Ah. <laughs> so um, I think, Mike, if it's okay with you, we want to do a CRTC corner, but oh, I gosh. feel like we should make sure we get to, and it's going to be the most interesting corner of all time. I feel like we should get to Nick's story here because spring is coming <gasps> up and I've gotten my, I've gotten my bike ready and tuned up, but I've only taken it out once, but I'm, I'm interested to, to discuss this story. Yeah, I've, I want to hear about it too. Can we just briefly discuss the prospect of spring? Because I'm looking out at a very <laughs> snowy morning here in Edmonton. Really? Really? Oh, really. wow. It's beautiful here. Yeah. Sounds yeah. nice. When I wrote that blog post about the Mid-Canada Corridor a few years ago, <laughs> I was wrong. I was so wrong. I didn't realize you had to sacrifice summer. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is well, they're not called the, They're not called the Edmonton Eskimos for no reason, no. Nick. Aside from the racist as potentially, I was as say, potentially offensive as that name is. Aren't Eskimos like in Siberia? No, oh, Arctic, Inuit. Yeah. And, no, I thought like the Eskimos were actually from Eurasia somewhere. Well, they well, potentially crossed the yeah. like li- the land bridge that was created. <laughs> it's going back but... a ways. Anyway, yeah. gentlemen, <laughs> what if you never had to fill the air in your tires again? <gasps> that would be pretty great. I know. Tell me more. And what if you didn't have to put air in your tires because your tires didn't take air at all? Like Again, nitrogen? That would be amazing. <laughs> no, so bridge. The air is mostly nitrogen. <laughs> in all seriousness, do you fill your tires with pure nitrogen? Because I hear there's a lot of benefits. I've, I've heard the same. I was asked at Mr. Lube if there's air or nitrogen in my tires. And I said air. Which I, I like your answer better, Rob. Yeah. I was like, actually, yeah. 97% of air is nitrogen. No, that one's That's only 70% nitrogen. Accurate at all. It's, it's pretty awful. <laughs> so, yeah. is it, what is it? I thought it was like it's 97. It's about 80%. It, okay. I was going to say 85. Yeah. I went oh, 97. Just, <laughs> 97% is the, what is that? The freshwater versus salt water on earth something like there is an an other thing that's 97 percent okay. something it's yes, i remembered air is 78 percent nitrogen mm-hmm. 80 78 yeah same difference <laughs> more or less what's a couple moles let's be accurate <laughs> <laughs> have we ever worried about being accurate on the show rob 
not, not too much. <laughs> so Bridgestone <laughs> has released these new tires that uh, just look wonderful. Has everyone gone to the page to look at them? Mm-hmm. The the bike not so much, so much, but no, the bike is fine. Well, no, the bike is, is yeah. the bike. I wouldn't ride home. Ride home. <laughs> right home about. <laughs> um, but the tires look great. It's like they have the usual spokes, and then mm-hmm. the actual tire portion is a little thicker. But it's these li- like little tiny. Uh, I can't remember what the plastic is called. Like fins. But sorry, they look kind of like fins. I think they just call yeah. them spokes, don't they? Thermoplastic resin. Yeah. That's what it is. But that's what's going to take all the shock of what a, a normal tire would. And I think it looks sharp. Yeah. I'm curious to see what they actually, how they actually ride, like what they feel like. But yeah, it looks cool. I mean, depending on, depending on how things go, like, you know, all the variables and whatnot, you could theoretically soak up a lot of abuse with those little mm-hmm. spokes. So you guys have heard of non-pneumatic tires before, right? Like in other applications? Yeah. yeah. I don't like know I've, what you mean. So I posted a link in the chat there if you wanted to go to it. I'd, only, I'd mainly heard about them being used in like military applications just oh. because of... Yeah, they, they mentioned those at the bottom of the article. Um, but it's, it's cool that they're getting to a bit more of a consumer application because I've always been intrigued by the benefits of non-pneumatic for... The obvious reason of not having to fill them mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah like like rob you were saying i don't know what it would compare like with the the ride and wearability and durability of them yeah these seem an order of magnitude more intense than the the bridgestone ones yeah yeah i would i agree yeah i the only problem i could foresee is like if those things failed catastrophically it's you're done <laughs> you're just done that's it <laughs> <laughs> but would they though like they're flexible well yeah but they'll fatigue yeah i guess so hmm it kind of seems like what's the worst that could happen like you'd still have spare tires if that happened that's true spare thermoplastic tires yeah actually but- have you guys seen the the video I, I i know i've seen these materials recently that if you expose them to hot water they will like turn into a 3d scaffold like it, it's like a flat kind of material. It's like that that material that has a, a shape memory, but it's like a two D kind of flat thing. And then you put it in hot water, and it'll like expand to a three D scaffolding that looks kind of like this. I'd be curious if you could do that to build like build these tires flat, and then you like activate them in water, and they just pop out to become a full three dimensional tire shape. Save a lot of space in packing them. You have no idea what I'm talking about, so I'll. I'll find a link to those. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there'd be a lot of wasted energy uh, if you're doing any sort of intense riding with these, just because of how much give they'd potentially need to have. Maybe. Again, you'd have to try it, but... Sorry, what was the concern? Like, just if they're overly springy or deformable, you'll have a lot of wasted energy if you're trying to do, like, intense riding, similar to how shocks will eat energy versus putting it into actually the pedal power Mm. but again i i don't i don't know how flexible or or squishy these tires are nor do i yeah i mean it seems like you would design them to not be super flexible but to have some give 
kind of like a, right. a tire. I could seeing it. I could see it being exactly like the Trek Demani frame, where like they have the the seat post that's decoupled and yeah. will it'll flex if you hit some sort of large shock, mm. but under normal circumstances it just sits there. Um. Also, it says these are the airless bike tires are supposed to be ready for consumers by 2019. Mm-hmm. I, I really want them. Because <laughs> currently... No, like for my current bikes. Well, current bike. Now that I have a, a big yeah. boy job, I'm I'm thinking about the bike I've been dreaming of for several years now. <laughs> I could see a lot of rental places outfitting their bikes yeah. with these. Or the, that like, was one of the sharing. comments. On, that was one of the comments on the Reddit thread. Like, because I don't know how often you've used bike sharing, but I've gotten a couple with just abysmal tire pressure. Right. Yeah. So, huh. if you didn't have to rely on people running around and filling tires, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious about the weight of these two. Yeah, because they could well. potentially be super heavy if the plastic needs to be really thick for them to be strong enough. Well, yeah, but I mean, regular bike tires aren't exactly light. Well, no, they're not. And so I'm not, it just seems like it, it could be a lot lighter or it could be yeah. a lot heavier. Like there's a lot As of- long as you can get it comparable, I think it should yeah. be fine. Yeah. Are you, are you sure about that? Rob? It could be lighter or heavier. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure about that. could be the same weight that. also. <laughs> no, I'm saying I, in, I could envision a circumstance where it could be either lighter or it could be heavier. I can envision both of those circumstances. I see. I'm not saying there are those <laughs> options because obviously there are those <laughs> options. <laughs> so it's agreed we're all getting these once they come out. In absolutely, well, I will be. Tr- I will be trying them. You have to add at least time and a half to to any date, so probably 2022 or something. That's oh, my man. rule for the future. Now, add <laughs> add an extra half time that they say. Does that apply to Elon Musk as well? Yes. Specifically, yeah. Elon Musk, I think you almost have to add double from when he first talks about it, and then you kind of refine it down from there as the date gets closer. So, like, the Model 3, I think he originally said it was going to come out, like, a year ago, and it's still, like, they're going to start supposedly shipping by the end of this year. So I don't think you have to add time and a half to that date, but from the original mention to it actually existing, it starts out as about double, and then it slowly gets closer and closer to... Well, one. they started selling it last year. Well, they started taking $1,000 reservations that had no commitment on them. They didn't start selling them. Fine. That's fine. Yeah. And whether or not they actually... I think we're supposed to... Speaking of Tesla news, we're supposed to start seeing... Uh, like, they're going to show off the first actual kind of running model in mm-hmm. the next couple of months. I forget where yes. I read that, but coming up soon. So the, the future is coming quickly. And um, I posted... Uh, a thing in Slack about an email I got from the Tesla mailing list about how the Ontario electric car um, subsidy is now fourteen thousand dollars for Teslas. Or for, there are a few different for, models. For, yeah, for a couple of different ones. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so that it takes a a small chunk out of a Tesla, even a pretty cheap Tesla. It's like maybe a quarter of it. But for cheaper electric vehicles, vehicles, uh, Mike, was it you that mentioned the Nissan Leaf? Yeah, it, it was also fourteen thousand. So it starts yeah. to become potentially very helpful in in deciding what whether you're going to go electric or not. Have people figured out if electric cars pay for themselves entirely? Like I know, 
I know solar panels have currently they don't pay for themselves with current prices, but I don't know if electric vehicles. That depends are on where you are. Mm-hmm. In in Ontario, right, they so, so they have a payoff period of about twenty years. Electric cars. No, solar sorry, panels. solar panels. Oh, okay, yeah, right. I'm talking so electric cars. Electric cars right paying now. for the entire car or paying for the cost of gas? Paying for the added cost of the car. How so much is the car? Depends. How much is a Nissan Leaf right now? <laughs> no, I mean like a Tesla, like because. I mean, well, if you compare yeah, it it's to, hard to compare with the Tesla because it's like a luxury car. If you compare the Tesla with a Benz, like I'm sure, I'm sure it makes up for itself. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so like, the I don't Leaf think you should expect for the car to pay for itself 000. over time, but mm-hmm. I think it can be competitive with a, a gas engine. What was it, Mike? Leaf is thirty-one thousand US yeah. MSRP. Okay. Really? Yeah. So if you take fourteen Which, off of that. That's a very inexpensive automobile. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, that's 31,000 US. So <clears throat> say 35 to 40,000 here. Yep. The uh, um, the sticker price on Teslas here, I, I'm assuming it's the same in the US, but when you go to see how much a Tesla costs, they actually factor in the amount you'll save on gasoline over X number of kilometers, as well as the incentives you get. So they end up being substantially cheaper looking than they actually are because they're factoring in the differential costs. I always have to watch out for that as I'm trying to convince myself to buy a Tesla. I want to see how much a Civic is right now. (laughs) Because that that would be probably a comparable type of vehicle than to the Leaf, right? Uh, Offers. It's good that we're talking about this the day after Earth Day. (laughs) It's very good timing. No, like honestly, it's good timing. Yeah. I like this Mike Googles the prices of cars segment. <laughs> We're definitely not going to have time for we can... a CRTC corner. Rob, why don't you introduce what uh, the CRTC is doing lately? Sure. So, Nick, did you get this email from Tech Savvy? No. Well, maybe. I am not good at checking my email. Complaints, Nick. You can complain about the service you got from the Rogers technicians. The Shaw technicians. To do with, or Shaw, whatever, having to do with Tech Savvy. You can go and file an official complaint with the government. Ooh. You don't seem that enthused by it. I'm not sure how much difference it. that'll make. Well, it will, it will make a small difference along with all the other people complaining. Mm. I have the same attitude towards this as you did about voting 10 years ago. <laughs> so I look forward to being very involved soon. Relatively soon. In 10 years? Or in the CRTC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. CRTC. So, okay, so the, I will include Mike's link here um, from this email. From I, This is so weird. Like, emails.techsavvy.com is the URL for this. They just, they send like an HTML copy of the uh, of their email, which is interesting but weird. But uh, Well, MailChimp does the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, so it's no different. Um, but go look at that email, especially if you've had issues like Nick and I have had in the past with third-party service people taking a heck of a lot longer to deal with specifically tech-savvy problems than they do with either Rogers or Shaw problems. Um, But the other news, the other bigger news in the CRTC this week is they ruled, uh, they were talking, I think that this case was specifically about Videotron and an unlimited music streaming uh, service, or I guess service that they offered for any of the, a number of major 
music streaming services, things like Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google Play Music. And they were off, so they were offering unlimited data for those streaming services. And the CRTC basically said you can't have a differential pricing for specific music services because it it specifically um, kind of cuts out competition between the bigger music streaming services and smaller ones. And it's not really fair to say you get unlimited music streaming if you are only getting unlimited music streaming from big companies. Like if if they said you could you could download any mp3 file for unlimited on our plan that's kind of a different story but what they're doing here is basically they are deciding which music services music streaming services get this benefit from from the videotron plan so i don't know mike what what uh what was your take on this net neutrality thing i'm not real i this whole net neutrality thing i'm not really sure what side I land on yet. Like I see both sides to an, to a, to an extent, like companies should have a way to partner with carriers or ISPs to offer their product. Like that's just, that's just capitalism's mm-hmm. marketing. Like it's just, I think companies should be able to do that though. I can also see it from the standpoint of, well, that's naturally going to motivate people to use those services over others. That's, that's the whole point of doing that. Yeah. Right, like you offer your service for free, chances are they'll use it. Right? Is that unfair? <laughs> well, I don't know. Like again, it's, that's just kind of capitalism. Like I don't know. It's. I think for me, it more shows the arbitrarity, mm-hmm. arbitrariness. We can we can say arbitrarity <laughs> of data caps when they can offer these services at zero rating mm-hmm. levels ambiguousness right? ambiguity yeah it's, it's not amb- it's not ambiguous though it's, it's it's an arbitrary cap essentially yeah okay that, that, that's what i mean by that it's there's no reason for them to say you have a maximum of four gigabytes per month right. like that like four versus six versus ten that's probably not going to have any difference on their system no. for for what people are going to use a hundred gigabytes sure maybe again i I don't know but i'd imagine once you get up to that level then maybe it'll start wanting to make sure people aren't abusing that but four versus ten like that's nothing Mm -hmm. right so when you say okay you have a one gigabyte per month plan but if you use netflix then that doesn't count against your cap it's like well why have a cap at all then yeah and i i think i think that's the biggest issue for me when it's you know Netflix versus Hulu and Netflix is the one getting the zero rating and Hulu doesn't. It's like, well, Hulu has every ability maybe to offer the same thing or, right. or ask them to offer the same thing. I don't I don't know. Like behind closed doors you don't know what kind of deals and partnerships right. are done. But um it's like obviously Hulu's bid wouldn't have been good enough to get that zero rating benefit mm-hmm. that, that Netflix did. And again, that's that's just capitalism. That's how that works. I think the reason that the regulation comes into play at all is because it the consumers have no control and it's it's kind of like the the Walmartization of digital services in that Netflix can afford to pay internet service providers or mobile companies to give unlimited Netflix at that point people will need to if they want to get these limited video streaming services they have to go pay for Netflix and so the Netflix and say Videotron, for instance, if Videotron were to do that, partner with Netflix, Videotron would have an incentive to offer unlimited video services because Netflix is paying them to do that. 
and Netflix would have an incentive would be able to get more customers who are with Videotron because if they buy Netflix, they will have unlimited video through them. And it discourages anyone, any other video services from being able to get into play because they don't have the same amount of money that Netflix has to give to Videotron in order to get that kind of exclusive unlimited streaming. Right. But then it comes back to the, well, then get good type approach, right? For, for, for the other services. I know it's not that simple, but that's kind of what it is. It's like, well, should Netflix be punished because but they're not they're being able punished. to afford that? That's the thing. No, it, but they're being punished if they say they're not allowed to have those partnerships. It's not that they're not allowed to partner. It's that they're not allowed to have discriminatory pricing based on the service, based on unlimited services that are offered. Like if they offered, if they said video streaming is unlimited, that would be a different story. Who, the, the ISP yeah, or the Netflix? ISP said uh, video okay. streaming is unlimited. Okay. And Netflix paid to have them to have Videotron say, "Oh, um, videos unlimited, and Netflix is included in this." Is very different from saying only Netflix is unlimited. Like you're discriminating right. between Netflix video bits and say YouTube video bits, and it's. But is that different? Is that different than a company like Virgin giving their customers like three bucks per month off of Spotify? If that was a deal that they offered, I know they do a lot of those types of partnerships and i like we have spotify right now so if a phone service like a phone carrier offered spotify you know spotify premium included with their Mm -hmm. service or for 12 months or whatever that could be a motivator to go with that if the math worked out right yeah Uh, usually the math doesn't work out but i'm just saying like that could be a reason to but is that should that not be allowed i don't know like right I mean, I'd have to be one of the little guys to have to know how that feels. Yeah. But again, it's like, well, that's just how life works. Like, it's I wouldn't call that unfair. That's just if you don't have the money to pay for those things and you can't do those things, you have to do it some other way. Like, distinguish yourself and encourage other people to come mm-hmm. to you despite the fact that you don't have the kind of money to have those partnerships. Right. I think it's just a slippery slope to the point where you start getting companies saying, Oh, we we're getting punished because we're big when the that's not really what is happening. It's just the fact that once the infrastructure is there, like companies need to charge a lot when they're while they're building up infrastructure. And if they continue to build up infrastructure, they're going to need to put money into that infrastructure. But once they have the infrastructure, they have an inherent advantage that's usually granted by government subsidies. Like it's granted, the government gave these subsidies to telecom companies, the big ones, specifically so that Canadians or Americans or whatever country would have infrastructure. And if they then turn around and take advantage of that infrastructure and wall it off from anyone else, unless they're paying customers, then it's it gives the, those big companies that just happen to get there first an unfair advantage over smaller companies. But they should have... Like back when they're setting up the infrastructure, again, I don't know what the numbers look like, but if the expectation was that they're putting this infrastructure in place, even with the subsidies, they were still probably essentially losing money like while they're building and maintaining that infrastructure. So then it gets to the point where they finally plateaued the infrastructure development and they're able to start trying to make that money back. But once they start trying to make that money back, they're like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Like you can't get greedy. Like it's like, well... I, again, I haven't seen their bottom line to see what their economic like. I'm not trying to put them in this light of poverty, saying right. that they're going hungry. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure they're fine, 
but I'm just looking at it from like a pragmatic perspective of, well, they've put that investment and they took that risk. Why shouldn't they be allowed to use the market the way it's currently set up? And maybe that's the point is that the market shouldn't be set up that way, or at least should be evaluated to see if the way it's currently set up is healthy. Right. But like, I don't think it's inherently a bad thing that these types of partnerships are possible. It's like, well, I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. Nick, Nick what, do you, what do you think you seem to have? Real-time follow-up. I don't think Rob's use of the slippery slow slope was a fallacious usage. I've done some reading at the moment, and I, I think you're probably in the clear, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> I guess. You're welcome. Because <laughs> the slippery slope is a, fall- a logical fallacy. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. yeah, it can be. There are I'm under the non-fallacious where... usage tab yeah. of the slippery slope page in wikipedia and i think you might be okay <laughs> i i would hope so yeah it it is a very complicated issue and i do often find myself like you mike thinking okay well maybe this isn't the worst thing ever maybe this is just part of how kind of a free market needs to work but you end up with companies taking advantage of their their specific status that other people don't have access to. They don't have access to those resources. It's like, it's like when you have um, a company that starts frivolously suing people because they don't have money to defend themselves. And so they end up just getting either a bunch of settlements or having people drop these lawsuits because they can't afford to pay. And it's not, it starts off as not a level playing field, which is what which is, I think, what the regulators like the CRTC is often, they often say they're trying to do is they're trying to level the playing field for big, for small players versus big players. And being able to offer these kinds of, um, these kinds of unlimited music services puts them in a position where they have an advantage inherently over other smaller ISPs. And it's just trying, to, like, I can definitely see it from that side of things, trying to not. Give, not let people take advantage of their size just like at the de- to the detriment of anyone that's smaller than them regardless of you want obviously you want companies that are big tend to be more successful like that's how they got so big in the first place but you wouldn't want that bigness to give them an even bigger advantage mm-hmm. you'd want them to have the advantage they have just to come back to the setting up infrastructure and competition thing mm-hmm. like Related to the tech savvy story, that's semi-related when it comes to the ISPs, again, set up infrastructure, kind of establish their business, um, and now they're selling their services for whatever price. And these other, you know, little guys come in and say, hey, we can offer for cheaper. I was like, well, of course you can. You didn't set up the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So, So they're coming and saying, well, we want to use the infrastructure set up. And the government said, okay, sure, you can do that under these rules and, mm-hmm. and regulations and whatnot, right? But then Tech Savvy goes and says, oh, well, you know, we're offering the service, but then we get deprioritized and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, why should Shaw, again, who set up the infrastructure and developed their business and whatever and are trying to make their money back, why should they start having to treat the Tech Savvy ones the same as their actual Shaw customers? Like... And possibly to the detriment of the Shaw customers, if a bunch of tech-savvy calls come in and the Shaw ones are the ones that get bumped down the list and have to wait 12 hours for the service. Like, hmm. is that fair? Why would like, they get bumped, though? 
bumped in the sense of having other ones ahead of them. Maybe not bumped, but if you have like Shaw and then five tech savvy calls and then another Shaw one, it's like it makes sense to me that the Shaw one should be taken care of first if it's Shaw Tech's going out to do the service. It's like if tech savvy wants their customers to get good service, it's like send your own techs out. But I guess maybe the way that the regulations are set up is that they have to use. Yeah, I think they have to use. I think that they have to yeah. use the Shaw text mm-hmm. because it's their stuff, yeah. which again makes sense. So it's like a catch twenty two, right? Yeah. It's like so techs have to set their own infrastructure, but there isn't room to set up additional infrastructures. So then the only option is to use the existing one, but then they have to use a text, which then encourages them to deprioritize them. It's I don't know if there's a good solution for it. Mm-hmm. Well, the- and and yeah, like c- customers want better prices, yeah. but when when a company like Shaw, who's trying to make their money back, like their payback period is going to be hundreds of years if they have to come down to what you know the I forget what the the name for them called, but the third parties who are piggybacking on the infrastructure, they can offer the lower prices because they didn't have to make back the money from the infrastructure that they set up. Right, but you have to kind of take into consideration that the amount of money that the government gives in the early internet service providers to set up infrastructure is massive. And they actually, like any money that the companies invest in infrastructure for like for the good of the country, they get back. Well, I don't I don't know how much that is, so I can't speak to that. And, and I imagine that there is a good incentive for companies to do that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it right. in the first place, exactly. right? So, and, and maybe that's, Maybe this is exactly what those ISPs want. They want people like me feeling sorry for them for having to like let these other companies and being, oh, well, they did all the hard work. And maybe that's exactly what they intended mm-hmm. the perception to be. Because I, I, yeah, I haven't seen their books. I don't know what their current, you know, ROI is on, on the infrastructure that they set up. Right. It's good. Um, I imagine it would be. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't be around anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, I... I... I'm in favor gen- generally of net neutrality and you don't often find people who aren't kind of either completely 100% free market capitalists or like CEOs of big telecommunications companies that are against it or have arguments against it. Um, but there are nuances where you can't, like I, I wouldn't say that I'm 100% for net neutrality to the detriment of other things in all cases. Like it's, it's definitely a gray area. But there are there are cut and dry cases where I'm like, yeah, this seems pretty clearly advantageous, like something you're benefiting from specifically because like it's either it's specifically going to hurt customers or it's specifically hurting smaller companies just be, like you're basically just throwing your weight around as a big company to hurt small companies. Yeah, I don't I don't like the aspects of hurting a free market right. and competition. Mm-hmm with net neutrality in the sense of the Videotron thing. But when it comes to the cell carriers, you know, charging absurd data overages or yeah. caps and that kind of stuff, it's like that, that stuff's garbage. Like mm. let, let people use their, the internet, the way that they're wanting to without these types of restrictions, yeah. like even let them pay for it, like offer an unlimited plan mm. if that's what people want. Yeah. Right. And had charge it as a, at a reasonable rate that works for everyone. Yeah. Right. Like if there are burdens on your bandwidth and make that explicit and charge for it, but don't make arbitrary caps and, and overage charges because mm-hmm. that's that's not good. Like I've heard of people paying 200 bucks a month for their phone yeah, bill yeah. because they're that's the amount of data they use. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of unbelievable. The number of friends that I have who have some set data limit, but then they're like, oh, yeah, I just 
you know, my, my bill, my new bill starts on the first and that's when I'll start using data again. And then like midway through the month, I'll just run out and be like, okay, well send me a text. Cause I don't have data. So it's just like, it's, and it's not, I don't think it's the consumer's fault for using data too fast or for wanting to be frugal. Like it's data is becoming, especially like, obviously if you sit there and watch videos all month, then you're going to use a bunch of data, but like just using like surfing the web or sending messages or I don't know, even sending pictures. Like that seems like the kind of thing that doesn't need to be charged massive overages for. Like, it seems like within fair, within a kind of an acceptable use policy that some, that a lot of places have, um, it seems like that is a good solution that will keep customers happy and keep the ISP's bottom lines totally fine. Like in the, black right yeah like if companies had say the first five gigabytes or four whatever Mm -hmm. number at full 4g or lte speeds and then throttled it to even 2g Mm -hmm. that's enough for regular internet browsing and communications like yeah you're not going to stream anything you're you know it's going to take a lot longer to upload or download pictures but at the very least you can maintain a connection with the people around you and that's ultimately what people prioritize mm-hmm. if it's coming close to the cap they'll say okay no more youtube no more sending pictures no more snapchat whatever but they'll stick to facebook messenger uh even you know cruising facebook right. odd, the odd time now and then whatever um which can all be done at those lower speeds yeah and we and, we've talked about before how a good solution might be during peak periods you would get an alert saying if you want to use LTE, it's going to like, it's going to eat into your data cap for the day, but at, at, we, we can bump you down to say 3G for free and you can continue using your unlimited plan. Well, yeah, even like, again, even, well, I don't know, 2G is pretty brutal, but yeah, yeah, maybe 3G is like, uh, it seems like it would be totally doable rather than having people need to wait until the end of the month, until their billing cycle starts again. It seems like having a per day thing would be a much better solution to like having the a system where you only get charged you only start eating into your data cap during peak rate during peak periods if you really want to use your data when everyone else is trying to use their data like if you're using gigabytes and gigabytes of uh lte in the middle of the night then you don't like you don't actually you're not competing with anyone so the infrastructure isn't taxed and Mm -hmm it seems a lot more reasonable to not charge people during that time than it does if someone's using gigabytes of LTE on the bus during their rush hour commute. Yeah. So that would be my solution, but obviously the companies are going to do whatever makes them the most money. And it seems like for now they're content making enough, as much money as they're going to make from customers using their one or two gigs of data and then turning their data off until the end of the month. Right. Cause they're still probably paying 50 or $60 at least for that. And then even more if you want, say, four gigs and then run out after two weeks. Right. So, Nick, as the resident <laughs> data cap pleb, what, uh, <laughs> what's your take on all this? As, related more to the data caps and data limits. If I'm being 100% honest, I kind of tuned you out. <laughs> and I tried to figure out some of the history of internet infrastructure in Canada. Mm-hmm. Didn't really get anywhere. And then I went to double check, you know, what people are actually paying for, for five gigs of data these days in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Yep. It's $48 a month. Yeah. 
I was going to say, and then you started crying. <laughs> no, I'm not paying that much more. Yeah. Well, Manitoba is about to change within the next year or so, I would say, because MTS got bought out. I also, yeah. uh, I also, I upgraded to a three gigabyte plan for, I don't think any more money than I was paying. And okay. I, the only time I've ever been like a little worried, like a little mindful about it was when we got to Edmonton and didn't have internet for a month. Right. Yeah. Huh. So it hasn't really There's, like, you don't run out of data. No. Would you say that you use all the internet on your phone that you would if you had unlimited? Uh, the only thing I could see doing a little more is streaming music, but okay, I, I'm usually listening to podcasts when I'm out and about. Right. right. And I just have those set to download over Wi-Fi. Yeah. Right. And with so the beauty f- of the Shaw Open Network, you <laughs> oh, can... God. You can sign into any Shaw Open wireless network anywhere. It's pretty great. On average, customers save 14 gigabytes of data a month using the Shaw Open network. Uh, yeah, that's that's actually a good point, Nick. Like, I think that's where most of my data uses comes from now is data uh, audio streaming, like with podcasts. Like, I have it set to auto download as well when it's uh, a new episode available and obviously you can have it set to auto download only when on wi-fi and uh like i don't have that checked off just because it's not a concern of mine but if i needed to i probably could get away with with surviving on uh wi-fi just only barely making it through <laughs> do you have any data sir <laughs> yeah. i mean like i'm usually a couple episodes behind on podcasts anyway so chances are by the time a new one comes out i won't be needing to listen to it right away so that's actually that maybe be an interesting experiment to do because i know i did that before uh trying to only use like to always use wi-fi when i was able to and i think i was able to stay under two gigabytes hmm. if i remember my my experiment correctly like the only the only time i get a little miffed is if i've been sitting and redditing for a while in range of wi-fi but not actually on wi-fi and the reason i do that is i switch wi-fi off when i'm out and about because i don't want my phone searching for wi-fi networks when there are none there because god that eats through your battery yes it does well then flipping back and forth between cellular and wi-fi and then as you're walking past a wi-fi network Mm. yeah that that's happened when like i've logged into starbucks before and then I'll have Wi-Fi on still, and it's like connected to Starbucks. I'm like, what? No, I don't want to be on Starbucks network. But then it will like just instantaneously like flip off of internet as it's transitioning. Yeah. It's actually gotten better now, though. Like I don't know if it's my phone or just Android has now set it up so that when it transitions, it stays on cellular and then connects to Wi-Fi while still staying on cellular and then turning the cellular off. Like so, we'll be running both intermittent like in between during the transition yeah i don't know if you know what i mean yeah i I think i know what you mean like does the your iphone do that as well that it can be on both simultaneously yes so it'll kind of yeah it's called wi-fi assist um it's a relatively new feature on the iphone at least so it's a it's like there's a setting here i'm looking through my cellular settings um so it says i've used 276 megabytes of cellular data when my wi-fi connectivity is poor since Mm. july of 2016 the, the amount of data that apps use 
on cellular on my phone is ridiculous. Like I said, it's that my the last time it was reset was July of 2016. Um, but I've used 1.4 gigabytes of email, like literally email. I don't know what I'm pulling down. Like what if they're God's giant attachments, doing. That's what I'm saying. I don't even understand. But uh, yeah, it's mostly YouTube. I think a third of it is YouTube. A bunch of music, a bunch of podcasts, um, email, for instance, Twitter. I have like 13 gigabytes of Twitter. Or sorry, not 13, more like 20 something gigabytes of Twitter. Like it's just when you don't, when for me, the person who's on my phone all the time, when I just have cellular connectivity, I'm just using gigabytes of data a day constantly. It's a little ridiculous. So is mine it is only a little ridiculous. It's very ridiculous, but I think it should be the normal. Actually, the only reason, like my my data right now, I roll over on the fourteenth. It's about double what it would normally be, just because I wanted to watch or wanted to listen to a few songs from YouTube. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I have like nine point seven gigs this month. Since when? March twenty eighth to April twenty seventh. Okay. So two point three is from play store updates 1.8 is from pocket casts and the rest are just apps that like pokemon's 450 and the rest are all like facebook reddit twitter just media downloads like caching or whatever my top over wi-fi is podcast addict reddit reddit uh youtube and snapchat Hmm. and then on mobile it's youtube reddit chrome snapchat pokemon etc huh yeah, I, I always have around, holy moly, I always have around 30 gigabytes, or I, I usually have around 30 gigabytes. This month seems like an anomaly, because I've my my cycle starts on the 10th, so it's been 13 days, and I'm at 40 gigabytes so far. That seems excessive. Nice. I don't know what I'm doing, because <laughs> my usage isn't that different, but that's a lot. So, real-time follow-up. On the Honda Civic thing. <laughs> We're still on if this. If you're still interested in, in talking about that. <laughs> so <laughs> the base model Civic is 18,000 mm-hmm. Canadian. The luxury edition is 21. So I don't know what you want to compare it to with the Leaf. Probably the uh, upper got, one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so a 21 versus 31 US, which is, right. what is that right now? <laughs> about 55 it's uh oh geez 42,000 that's horrible that's it it's wait really for which number right now 17 or 31 31 to 40 31,000 us is 42 canadian that doesn't sound right, right now 31,000 american is 42,000 canadian yeah oh right no yeah yeah that, that's what it is right now huh the exchange okay. is apparently very bad that doesn't seem that bad i didn't expect it to be that high yeah but anyway so then with the 14,000 rebate, that brings that down to 27. Right. So kind of in the same ballpark-ish. It's what the Tesla is aiming for, I think, in theory. Is what? That kind of thirty to 35,000 range, although I US, guess that's US. Yeah. yeah. So then you're seeing like a six to $10,000 premium yeah. for the electric part, right? Right. And then what I'm wondering, talking back about the paying off payoff period, like if you actually make that money back in gasoline savings. Yes. Which six to 10,000, I, I have a hard time believing that when you look at the lifetime of the car. Why not? So well, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of gas. You, Cause you're still paying for the electricity, right? Presumably. Well, the electricity is nothing. 
Like, what do you mean it's nothing? In ter- compared to gasoline costs, the electricity is nothing. I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't looked at the numbers. That's why I'm that's why I'm curious about it. Um yeah, the the Tesla website, like I said, lets you estimate your gasoline usage over five years. And it says so it talks about if you are driving sixteen thousand kilometers a year, you'll save around eleven thousand dollars over five years for gas. Sixteen thousand a year? Yes. That doesn't sound that high. Doesn't sound that high. What's your point? <laughs> that that's not a realistic yearly. No, but I'm use. saying that that at that amount of kilometers, it's eleven thousand mm-hmm. dollars over five years. Oh, I see. Right. So if you drive double that, yeah, then you save double. double. So it seems like you would earn the difference back because electric, like I said, electricity is nothing. Like when they say estimated gasoline savings, they're not talking about not buying that gas. They're talking about the difference between the cost of gas and the cost of electricity. Is that what the site says? Yeah. Okay. But there are also things like superchargers and like our, we have a, a plug-in in our parking space in our condo, but we don't like our condo fees pay that. So if we were right. using it to charge our car, it wouldn't cost us specifically anymore. That's how I feel when I plug my phone in at work. <laughs> like, ah, suckers. Pennies a year <laughs> that I'm saving. <laughs> oh, man. I'm now looking up. I'm now looking up how to get Saskatchewan plan myself while not living in Saskatchewan. <laughs> it's relatively easy, but fraudulent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's fraudulent. I don't see anywhere in the process where it's fraudulent. They're registering an address that's not yours. No, you just have to go to a thing and say, hey, would you please sell me a Saskatchewan number? I'm moving yeah. to Saskatchewan. <laughs> then you're just oh, lying. Yeah. If you don't say I'm moving to Saskatchewan, then... That's the fraud part. <laughs> just fucking... I need to get a Saskatchewan number. Hmm. I've got some family in Saskatchewan. It's, you could ask that. It's like, here, here is an address in Saskatchewan. <laughs> I am not saying it's mine. Saskatchewan. Don't bill me there, but... Am I pronouncing <laughs> that right? Uh, Big company move soon. Did we have anything to uh, to wrap up this week? We're, we're out of time. I'm good. I think we're all good. Okay. <laughs> well, for this week, I will say thank you for listening to Future Chat. You can head to unwindmedia.com slash futurechat to see past episodes of the show, as well as notes for this episode, all the links to things we talked about. See you guys next week. Bye. Ciao.